This podcast is brought to you by Primary Intelligence, the leader in win-loss analysis, focused on helping businesses uncover the unique story on how each sales rep can win more deals. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on another rousing edition of Sales Intelligence Weekly, brought to you by Primary Intelligence. I'm Ryan Queller. Having a clear go-to-market strategy is crucial for B2B sellers. It creates alignment. It helps to optimize your buyer's experience. But in today's environment, you have to find ways to make your go-to-market initiative stand out because buyers are flooded, bombarded even, with mass amounts of information. It's estimated that people are exposed to between 6,000 and 10,000 ads every single day. So in this sea of information, this constant tug of war for attention, how can you capture your buyer's attention? How can you continually nurture your buyers with go-to-market initiatives that stand out? We have just a little bit to chew on today. Exploring this idea with me is my friend, Mr. James Gilbert, Chief Marketing Officer at Flip. James, welcome to the show. Boom. So good to be here. I'm excited about this conversation. Rad. So before we get into the the, the, con, the convo as the, the parlance of the day, um, on your LinkedIn profile, you you like... You gave you gave us a little a, a little nugget there in your profile. You said you have some tricks up your sleeves that didn't need to be revealed at the time. You posted, you know, in your profile picture, you had a little video. Mm-hmm. And I watched it. And you said you had some tricks up your sleeves. Uh, what are said tricks? What what do you have up your sleeve? Well, you see, I have a very unique personal story, and um, I once was blind, and so. I have this unique way of looking at marketing from a different type of lens, from a lens that serves accessibility and serves those that have disabilities. Um, And I think that a lot of marketers just forget about it. And my MO, everybody knows this about me. Uh, It's one thing that I could say, like, if I was, if I died tomorrow, people would know that's who part of who he was, right? And that's that I don't do anything like the conventional way, Mm. nothing. Um, There have been CMO gigs that I have been a part of and been wildly successful at and did zero organic search. Like that's an example, right? So I think that this particular conversation and topic is very, very much something that I'm passionate about. And that's just being completely unconventional. some of those tricks, uh, you know, you want me to give like specifics? I can just. It doesn't have to be, but you, 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 you gave me the, the, the hook. I had to go explore a little bit. So, I mean, you tell, you tell me what Here, you want to tell me. Here's a specific one. Um, how about like, and it seems simple and so easy, but no one does it. Yeah. Like, look at my profile. And I've, I've said this so often. Like, my profile literally says word for word, I'm a big Utah Jazz fan. Like, there's, there's, that, that's, that's not a secret. How about the fact like we use like the actual personal details of somebody to make our marketing stand out, right? There's a company out there that's I think is doing it incredibly well. Um, and even their ads and their messaging and what they're putting to market, I think is is just fantastic. And I have no like tie to them whatsoever, but I think like metadata does a great job of this stuff. Mm. Like their ads stand out, 
the the unconventionalness of what they do. I mean, look at what we just did. Like the tricks up my sleeve that we just did for our big rebrand was I had knives thrown at me. Okay, wait. You need to un- un- help us unpack this. What 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 is this rebrand? You were something. You are now flip. Tell me more. Crazy thing. So I get I get to Red Route. Um, CEO and CRO come to me. I fly into San Diego. I'm bringing my whole team. My team hasn't shown up yet. Second day on the job, and they're like, "Hey, we think we need to rename the company." Wait, day two? Day two. Welcome, welcome, and here. <laughs> yeah. So this was in May. Um, it is now September. And they're like, okay, um, let's rename the company. And I was like, okay, I think we could do that. I've done that before. Um, not a big deal. Then they were like, all right. And we think we actually want to do a rebrand too. And when we do the rebrand, that we're going to need a new website. So I'm like, okay, well, here's like three huge projects. And I know, I know for a fact, like doing all three of these at the exact same time is not unusual. But then it got, then it got bigger. Then it was like, we know your MO. We know you have a podcast um, prior to me coming to this company. And they're like, we want you to help us stand up a podcast. And I was like, okay, we could, I mean, that's something that's going to take some time, but we can definitely do that. And then we started talking about category creation and we started talking about all these things. So, I mean, by the time we were done, um, after, at the end of that day, we probably had, I want to say eight of the biggest projects the CMO would ever do over their entire career. <laughs> and the kicker. Oh, and there's more. Okay. <laughs> was we had to do it before September. We had to have everything done by September. And the reason why which goes right into our GTM discussion. We caught wind of one of our partners releasing a product that was going to be similar to ours. And we were, we're one of the first that's out there. So we're an Alexa-like experience for business operations. So you can kind of think of like, you turn your lights on with Alexa, um, play your music with Alexa, you text your loved ones when you're in your car, you do all those things through voice technology. Um, well, we do it for brands. So we help when you call customer service, we want you to have a really good experience, like an Alexa-like experience. So came up with the, this idea that we needed to do our quote unquote category creation lightning strike before they did. So we put the date out there and then we found out what this partner was going to do to release it. So then they put their date out there. So then we had to change our date, which ended up being a whole month sooner. Oh my god! Yeah, what? a whole a whole month. What is sooner. happening here? And and so we were like, well, we're not gonna have, we're not gonna have enough time to get the traction that we I think need behind this event. So yeah, we yeah. came up with this idea of doing these challenges, where after we met a certain threshold of challenges, we would then make one of our founding team team members and one of our executive team members do something wild. Wait, t- wait what do you mean these challenges? What, what are these challenges? So when we met a hundred registrations, yeah. our CEO had to try one of the top 10 hot sauces in the world. Oh, like hot ones. So you did a little hot ones with them. Yeah, well, it was, it was called the bomb is what it was. <laughs> and like, he didn't just take a little like dab of it. I mean, he dipped a whole onion ring in this thing and went to town on it. And I'm not kidding you. I was with him that entire night and like we videoed the whole thing and put the production out there and it was amazing. It was awesome. Good content. But people don't realize like 
that continued for the entire night. Like we were up till midnight doing like sales decks and all this other stuff. And he was just hating life. It was just not good for him. It was the gift that kept on giving all night long. Yeah. So that was challenge one. Okay. Challenge two ended up being like our CRO got on uh, LinkedIn live and karaoke like live on a live stream. Oh no, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, number three was, was me actually getting in an ice bath for 10 minutes and we had 20, 20 bags of ice um, in that ice bath. Um, and like, so we kept going on these challenges by the time we met 500, if we met 500, which was our big, big goal, then yours truly was going to have knives thrown at me. Wait. Um, Okay. <laughs> so I understand hot sauce. I understand karaoke. I understand ice baths, right? Those are somewhat, um, they're, they're personally damaging, like, you know, hurts the ego, yeah. but that's an abstract idea that was founded by, you know, Sigmund Freud back in the, back in the day. Knives, my friend can hurt your physical person. <laughs> Why in the hell did you say yes to knives? What, what? Well, so see <laughs> the crazy thing about this is we didn't find a knife thrower before we put this out there to the world. So on our landing page, like we had to somehow find a knife thrower. Then after we had already put it out in the world, that was a mistake, big time mistake there. It just so happens that Monday was our, we called it our big flip and reveal, right? Um, obviously because we named our, our brand flip. So no one knew that that was actually going to be our name. Yeah. And we Monday rolls around and we're like five registrations away from 500. Mm-hmm. So I'm, ca- I'm looking at the hours and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we are going to hit it. So I've got to find a knife thrower. So I start Googling and I find this guy. He's his literal like stage name is called throw Dini. Throw Dini. Throw Dini. Little, little plug for our guy. Throw Dini. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's wild. This guy holds like, all the Guinness book of world records for knife throwing. He's probably the best person I could find knowing that I'm not going to be killed by a knife doing this. And it just so happens that he is an hour drive from where we were hosting our big flipping review. No way. Wow. Providence. All right. Yeah. So like, I'm like, okay, let's do it. And so I, I, our VP of partnerships finds his number. I call him up, we coordinate it. And Sure enough, like I get there and it's just his house and he rolls out this like big board and it's red. He's like, okay, like stand next to this. And I thought like he was going to like practice. He was going to give me a warning. He's just like, okay, put your arms in. He's like, you're a bigger guy. So don't move. And I'm like, okay. (laughs) And I'm just standing there. And then he just starts chucking knives at me. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm saying like, this stuff is coming at me fast. It's, it's, they're they're not small knives they're huge knives yeah yeah and they are no warning no warm-up and i'm not kidding you that stuff was very very close and then he tells me okay you're gonna hold a straw in your mouth and i'm gonna cut the straw and i'm like i mean it's a little too late i've got to do it so here we go i hold the straw and he cut it from my mouth I mean, the whole video is like up there, right? But like, this is what I mean by unconventionalness and just stand out. I don't mean you have to go get knives thrown at you by all means, but um, like your ads, it's probably been done before. Like 
it's not the design that's going to do it. It's not any of that. It's, it's the hook. It's what you're going to offer people. It's the entertainment value, especially in today's world where social media is such a strong component to everything that you do from a GTM perspective. Um, you really have to have it firing on the, on those cylinders and being entertaining while you're doing what you're doing. And I okay, think so, it, so yeah. I, I, I want to go, I want to go a little bit deeper here. So why though? I mean, why? I mean, why do you have to have it firing on all cylinders? You know, what, what are these great challenges that we're facing here uh, as, as, you know, B2B companies are, are trying to take their, their mantra, their product to, to market? I mean, what are they facing? Well, I mean, like the way people buy now is totally different, right? It's mm-hmm. changed. The last five years has really changed. And I think the pandemic a little bit forced this. And that was our research was always sort of done online, right? It was like people do their buying online. They go to like review sites and all that other stuff from a B2B perspective. But what didn't ever happen was just like 100% online. Like then there was no ability to do networking. There was no ability to do events, none of that. So it forced our mentality to then find new ways in which then we were going to try to reach people online. And then your ad networks got more saturated than ever before. Your cost of doing ads went up and it has not changed. It stayed the same even after the pandemic. So you have this shift of a mentality of now people and buyers like myself, like I'm a CMO, so I can, I, I have the ability to go purchase software from vendors. I have never clicked an ad. Not one time, not one time. Now I've seen ads and there are some ads that have impressed me enough to leave an impression in my mind to remember them later. So from an awareness perspective, I think it can work, but it's still got to be creative enough to stand out from the noise. Okay. So, so, so creativity, um, this is the, this, I mean, this is always a, a subject of significant conflict and, and, and lots of conversation about this. Uh, you have all kinds of uh, people and, and, you know, what, how do you land on what is, you know, creative appropriate or the right creative for the audience. I mean, knives, how did you land on spicy, you know, hot sauce, karaoke, you know, self-deprecation uh, and, you know, knives? Well, see, our, our POV at Flip is, is simple. Everyone can relate to the problem that we solve. Literally everyone, not even those who buy our product. Everyone has had a terrible customer experience when they've had to call the phone. Yeah. And so we knew that. So we doubled down on that messaging with everyone that we, we targeted, which means that if everyone can relate to the bottom line messaging that we're trying to put out there, then that means that the next level of that is being creative with it. So our ads for this particular campaign and this reveal um, is we hired Shooter McGavin from Happy, Happy Gilmore. Gilmore. Yep. <laughs> Shoot. Yeah. I love that. That actor is rad, man. Yeah. So we hired him. Um, he did a big old like spiel for us. It was like a, you know, a 30 second ad is all had him do that. We had Meredith from the office do one. Um, we also had Todd Packer from the office from the office. And he's also from anchor man. Yeah. We literally just said, look, 
we're not, we don't want you to sell our product. We don't want you to talk about like the value that it brings. We want you to answer a simple question. How do you feel when you have to call a phone number and, or when that phone number is not available? So we took our POV and our high and our bottom line messaging. And we said, look, we know you can relate to this. All we want you to do is tell us how you relate to it. That's it. Okay. So we had these three ads running. We had shooter talk about it. Like, you know what I hate more than happy Gilmore? Bad customer service. And it was great, right? Um, Todd Packer talked about like brands, why are you hiding your phone numbers? Like, all I want to do is just get a quick answer. Stop hiding your phone number. All of it played super well into our POV, right? Meredith talked about, hey, like, what, what are we going to do at Dunder Mifflin if we would have had some automation to help us handle all the calls we were getting? Well, it would have helped, right? There'd be more time to drink is how she put it. Okay. Um, but, and then, and then we realized, well, the real champions behind customer service that always get the better app are the customer service agents. So we knew from this perspective, we needed to highlight them. So we, we unfortunately could not get like the real Elton John because he's on tour, but we found he like, we found somebody who was an Elton John impersonator, write uh, an ode, which we helped him come up with it and sing it to all the customer service agents. So then we sent this video ad out to all customer service agents at our target audience. And then we had the other ads go to everyone else. And this was how we stood out. Um, on top of that, like we have a lot of fun. I think that's the big key. Like when you're doing your GTM strategy, like everybody gets so stuffy and fast to think it has to be all business oriented. Like you have to have fun doing it because if you don't have fun doing it, then the creativity can't flow. And that's like our, one of our biggest, we call them a guiding principle, um, on our, on our leadership team and, um, on our marketing team. And one of those guiding principles is have fun doing it or don't do it. Mm. And people feel it. My, you know, when I, when I came into the business world back in you know the late nineties, my dad used to say people have very sensitive bullshit detectors, <laughs> right? They're, they're, it's like, they, they know exactly when you're, when you're BSing them and, you know, and, and when you're, you know, when you're being authentic and real. And so, you know, that, it sounds like that's what you did. What was the result? I'm, I'm so curious. I mean, what was the result? I mean, you, you were authentic. You were, you were not boring. You were, you were yeah. real. You did some stuff that's cool and interesting and above the noise. What was the result? Well, the result was amazing. Like we had the highest attendance of a, of a live stream based on registrations that I think I've ever seen. Like it was like 85% of those who registered showed up. Whoa. Are you, I mean, we're talking, usually those things are like 40%, 30 to yeah. 40%. You had 85%. Yeah. And the thing and is, was we made the live stream fun too. Like we've, we, this wasn't like a, no, no offense, Apple, but it wasn't like a stuffy um, Apple keynote. <laughs> we made the live stream pretty wild too. Like our, we brought our product in and literally like was the, you know, how like Bruce Buffer comes in is like, let's get ready to rumble you know and does that thing like well yeah, we yeah. had we had our ai be like the mc for the entire event okay that's brilliant so then we put our products as the star and like our engineering team is just absolutely brilliant behind jacob cooper and all them all them folks and on the engineering side and they basically like brought the product front and center and said like this is our product this is the type of experience. And guess what? It doesn't mean that you have to like 
we didn't care if everyone that came to the event was going to buy our product. What we cared about is that we were authentic and real in how we delivered it and that we were creative enough to draw attention. And I think the combination of those two things often gets lost in all of the like, okay, we need to have like a technical white paper and we need to have an ebook and we need to have all these other like things that people don't care about anymore. They just don't. Like you find somebody in your um, organization that is really creative and is good on TikTok and can deliver your POV, that will get you more meetings than an ebook ever will in today's world. And that's the shift that's happening in marketing now. Okay, so so we got to go there because most business, especially businesses that are a little older, some you know even tech tech companies, you call that Apple. I mean, they're 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 an older organization who's cutting edge and one of the biggest you know biggest brands in the world, maybe the biggest brand in the world. Uh, and I'm not calling we're P.S. not calling out Apple in any way, shape, or form here. <laughs> but um, you know what can these companies who have maybe a more serious professional brand? You know, how, what can they do to avoid, you know, you know, to change their voice and, and make them stand, make themselves stand out more. I mean, that, that's a, that's an issue. Yeah. When I worked for Cisco. Yeah. Um, Cisco did this really, really well. I mean, they're huge. Yeah. Just a massive company. And I think the reason why this works so well is because they had this be part of their culture and their culture is just really well done. Um, everybody within the organization is allowed to be themselves and is allowed to position themselves as an individual. Um, that's somebody sh who should be celebrated now, like huge companies have the advantage of having massive budgets, massive budgets. Yes. So I think one, you need to align how you're creative with your brand essence. Okay. And your brand essence are the emotions that are behind your brand and how you want to be perceived by the market. Now, our essence at Flip is was unconventional, edgy, fun. Those are the three big ones. So we knew everything that we do from here on out is going to be those three things, no matter what. Now, as you get into a bigger organization, to your point, they're not necessarily as creative or allowed to be as creative because their essence is maybe more, or very professional or their brand archetype is more like a, kind of like an Apple, but think about what Apple does, even though that they're at that like level of like, they don't have to do the wild stuff, get knives thrown on them. What do they do do? They tap into the audience that they know is going to resonate. So they bring in a younger generation to deliver their message. They bring in a younger generation to be the face of who gets to interact with their product first. It's, it's, not, it's not different. It's just how it's delivered and how it's executed on. A smaller startup that has a smaller team and is trying to develop themselves into a category and into a particular position, they're going to have to be more creative. Like we had to do this when I was at CRM Next too. We were a, a younger company and we were going against the biggest company in the world um, on the CRM side, which was Salesforce. So how, how do you stand out? Like you're, We didn't have the budget that Salesforce did. Not at all. 
So what we did is we decided to make all of our campaigns really unique and different. So we highlighted the people and we did like a, um, we did a, a contest for those that did amazing things during the pandemic and, you know, like banks and credit unions didn't get a lot of credit for that. They helped keep the economy afloat. And we knew that no one was talking about it. The press wasn't talking about it. So we decided to be the press and the communication platform for all of these credit unions and banks. And so mm. we did, we held a contest and we did it that way. Was this like knife's thrown? No, but was it unconventional? Yeah. And we knew that we couldn't always, you know, win out on like when we're on G2 crowd and we have, you know, 50 reviews and Salesforce has like 3000. Like, how do you compete with that? We, well, the scalability of it is like, you have to deliver the content then differently. Like everyone's going to G2. So what we decided to do is we um, got to give credit where credit is due. Emily Thompson and Victoria Weber came up with this brilliant idea of doing what we call their banklerette, which is essentially like the bachelorette, but for like the banklerette. Okay. Uh, please tell me more. This, yeah. <laughs> this is interesting. So people that would come to G2 crowd yeah, would compare us and Salesforce, us and like EGA and us and like other CRMs. Yeah. Now the traditional path that people would go down would be like, okay, let me see the comparison page. And then most people then send them the G2 crowd grid or something like that. Um, but I know that's not how people think and buy. So I think a big part of this is like, Another one of our guiding principles is always seeing things through the three lenses. And the three lenses are the one who buys, the one who sells, and the one who keeps the customer happy. If we're always looking through those three lenses, then we have to realize we have to put ourselves in the shoes of a buyer. I happen to be a buyer oftentimes with software. So I know like if somebody sent me through the grid, it's not going to resonate with me. I want something that's actually going to help me be educated in a further way that I wasn't before. So I had some experience with this when I worked for cloud sharing, we did a bunch of different stuff um, that was also very, very unique and it worked really well, but we decided to take it to a new creativity level. So we hired some actors and actresses. This was in the thick of the pandemic. So we knew they needed work and yeah, they, were, we, they were hanging out. They were available. Yes. And we knew that we couldn't do this in person because of all the stuff that was going on with the pandemic. So we had them film themselves on zoom um, being a persona that we wanted to represent. Now we didn't want to use Salesforce's name and we didn't want to use Microsoft Dynamics's name. So what we did instead is we had them be personaed at a, at a name that was going to sound very similar. So Salesforce was Dell Schwartz. Microsoft Dynamics was Micah Scott Dynamic. <laughs> and, and we had like six of them. Yeah. And then what we did is instead of sending people down this grid, we sent people down episodes where they were dating as a prospect. You see, because CRM is about relationships. So that was the whole theme of the message was if it's about relationships, then you should date one. And so let's, let's actually date a CRM. Let's see what it's like. By the way, this is the same concept as seeing a comparison review. But the difference is we took that concept and we made it more tangible for people and more entertaining. Um, it didn't mean that we had to completely change our MO and essence because our, our essence at CRM Next was not like this like cr crazy wild brand that 
that we we are a flip like it's it was not like it was much more um conventional maybe a little bit yeah but we could still be unconventional in the approaches Hmm. so we did this it was a six episode series and people got to binge watch it and it it was released but what we didn't just stop there we knew that there needed to be something that created what what i call wow moments a moment that just makes people's jaw drop so we uh we found this vendor on amazon that sends a rose in a box and the rose in a box lasts up to five years it's like a beauty and the beast thing i'm not even kidding wait five years i yeah that might be that might be the most astonishing thing i've learned all day that a rose lives in a box i couldn't really five years yeah yeah we found this rose and so as part of our last ditch effort once they would go through the whole series and of course we would have the actual customer pick crm next which is what we did um then we followed up with a direct mail piece that said look relationships should last and we want this one to last with you and sent them the rose that could last five years, which is, you know, they, they send the rose on the bachelorette to the people that they pick. I'm picking up what you're laying down here. I love it. Yeah. So, so it all tied together. Um, it was beautifully architected and done and like we executed on it. And I had people that were completely outside of our ICP that were actually not supposed to be seeing this stuff because we were very targeted and who got to see it. They were reaching out to me being like, holy smokes, what is this campaign? I need to know no more about it. And it's the same kind of thing that we're doing. Like everywhere I've been, this is the kind of stuff that we do. Um, and you, the only way that you can do it is you take a concept and a theme and then you, you, you build the creative and you let the freedom of the creativity deliver the message. Okay. So I, I want to go, I want to take the next step here. Do you have a channel that you prefer? I mean, is, is there a, a specific channel that works better than others? I mean, you've got all this creativity, you've got all this great content. What about the channel? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that this, when I was at CRM next, the channel was, um, was email. It worked really, really well for us. And also we had what I would consider to be more of like affiliate marketing. It's like this big community of like we could run advertisements and things like that, that we knew were only going to be going to, to those people that were interested. So these big communities of credit unions and banks, that's, those were the channels for CRM next at flip. Our channels are different, right? Um, it's been TikTok, It's been LinkedIn. It's been, um, more of like, what is now framed as dark social has worked really, really well for us. Okay. So we take this idea of standing out. I mean, at some point and there's like, there's icons out there, you know, like uh, old spice I mean, shit. My dad used to wear old spice in that little white <laughs> bottle, right. With the little gray plug top thing. And he smelled like my dad. Right. And then old spice got crazy with their marketing and rebranded and just killed it right and really launching and they weren't the first one to do it but really launching kind of this this whole play um you know how do you see this idea of standing out um, differ between maybe outreach from marketing and outreach from a sales rep i mean 
marketing can maybe be a little more unconventional, a little more out there than perhaps a salesperson. How do you, maybe not though, you know, what's the difference between the two? I actually think that's one of the biggest problems with sales today is they're not being unconventional enough. I'm not kidding you. This whole uh, concept of me being a Utah jazz fan has been out there for very, for a very long time. It's I've been one my whole life. Right. And ever since I've been on LinkedIn and hosting a ton, like I even wear my Utah jazz hats in like meetings, you know, like people dress up in their suits. I'm in a Utah jazz hat or, you know, whatever, like, it's not a, it's not a secret. It's been used three times in my entire career to try to like actually create a relationship with me. Three. That's it. I can count that three times. And I know exactly who those three people are. I still talk to them. I have done business with all three of them. Sales needs to be more unconventional because here's what's happening. What happened with marketing and the saturation of ads and the saturation of messaging and the saturation of everything that you want to do from a marketing perspective has now happened with sales with the automation of sales technology. So your sales sequences, they're almost always the same. You can always tell as a, as a, somebody who buys, you can always tell when it's automated and nine times out of 10, they get my name wrong because I have the little like prayer emoji there saying, thank you for getting my name wrong. Like this is not rocket science. And I think that the, the, the issue lies in the GTM strategy, if you want my honest opinion. And that's the expectations at the highest level. And what I mean by the highest level, I'm talking about like the board. I'm talking about your investors. The expectations that are set there <clears throat> are often not aligned to how to scale at the stage that they're at. And so you have these expectations that really, really high, like we need to grow 5X over the next year. In order to do that, we have to hire 30 reps right now. And then, oh, we have to have 30 calls for each rep. And we have to have like all these metrics. And I get it. I get why it happens. But the expectation, if it's reset, the board be like, no, we're going to grow 2X and we're going to make sure it's super efficient. We're going to make sure we don't destroy our brand in the process so that it doesn't have a long-term impact on us five years down the road. That's the conversation that needs to happen right now from a GTM perspective with most B2B companies. Because I can tell you right now, I very rarely get a message that is personalized, that's unique, that I would engage with. It's happened very rarely. There was somebody that found out I was a Star Wars nerd they sent me an email that was just like the most incredibly written email about star Wars compared their company to Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I was like, shit, this is what I'm talking about. I'm in. Yes. Right. Yeah. I don't even care what they did, but it was the fact that they did that. That's what helps people stand out. And sales is, is now in the same predicament. The marketing has been in. We over automated the business world. And now as a consumer and as somebody who buys, you know, this, we want it to be personalized. We want the attention to be very unique to us. And that's why communities are flourishing to find answers to these things. Because I, I, I can get a million different things, but I can simply go to a, the communities I'm in and be like, hey, what's the best B2B technology for A? And I know I'm going to get probably 10, 15 different responses from people who have used it and who are current customers of those technologies. And what is going to be more powerful than that? Pretty much nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So sales and marketing 
your main jobs right now is you've got to stand out. You've got to stand out so that you can start getting a mind space in people. That's the key. Sales and marketing have to start getting mind space. And if you get mind space in people, then you become a thought when they're actually evaluating and looking. So we're in such a weird time, right? Uh, you talked about the digital transformation of the per of the buying cycle earlier. Uh, mm -hmm. Some and we've done shows on this uh, episodes on this podcast talking about this very thing, right? This digital transformation salespeople might only get 5% of five to 10%. If that of the face-to-face -face or, you know, ear-to-ear -ear kind of um, attention of the buyer, very little what, from what it used to be. So you have this, this new kind of online education and purchasing cycle, and they, the buyers have not our research has, has shown that buyers still require a depth of understanding of them, of them, right? That's very unique. They want, they want you to understand their business needs at a very deep level. When, when I'm not talking about table stakes, I'm not talking about your product needs to do X, Y, and Z. Of course, your product does that thing. That's why you exist in the marketplace. It's much deeper than that. We understand you as a person, as a, as a workflow, you get our culture, all of those things. So what I'm hearing you say is um, standing out, connecting with the person, doing a little more, I don't know, if research is the right word, but understanding who that person is and reaching out to them in real as a human being is more effective than the mass push. Is that, is that, was that what you're saying? Or did I misunderstand that? Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like you look at the evolution of what's happened with like, for example, account-based marketing. Yeah. Most B2B companies are doing that because it's just really good B2B, really. I mean, <laughs> like, let's be real. It's just data-driven, strong B2B marketing. Right. Um, now, when ABM very first came out, it was just about ads. It was about displaying ads to a set of accounts and then having your sales team have a very strategic way of approaching them. And you look at how that's even evolved. And it's evolved considerably now. Like you have people like like myself who have done ABM programs, and sure, ads are a part of it, but it's one tiny little part of it. Like it's a cohesive experience, and that's I think the difference between what is happening, you know, five years ago between and and to now is now brands have to build a cohesive experience for an account. Which means if you're going to do a cohesive experience for an account, you have to stand out. And the way that stand out is you, you build these wow moments that are individualized. Um, it's why your direct mail companies like Sendoso and Alice and all these huge direct mail companies that do a ton of different stuff have the options to personalize a message. Because you send a handwritten note to, um, let's say, a CMO who's part of the buying decision. But then you also send a personalized gift to the influencer who's also influencing the entire team around whether they should make the move on that or not. That is what is going to make a cohesive experience powerful is those wow moments that make people stand out, make people think, wow, they went above and beyond. <clears throat> the thing that's crazy about all this is like how very few companies are doing all this. And that's why it's, so easy to get results 
because I promise you, like, I can sit here and talk about it all day long. And many others will talk about it all day long, but very few are actually doing it. Like we're doing it at flip and it's working. So what's your, you know, what's your, if, if rounding out our conversation here, what's your one piece of advice to our listeners, right? So that would, that would help them stand out. You know, what, if you were sitting down at a jazz game, sharing a, you know, a beverage of choice and your, you know, $15 hot dog, what, uh, you know, what, what would you tell them? I think I would say pick a theme that aligns to your POV that can be creative and just try to build a cohesive experience around it. That's my one piece of advice. You know, like as marketers, we're asked and we're told, um, and even as leaders to test, fail fast, test often, and move on. Okay. And if we do that, then there's no reason why we can't carve out a little budget to be creative and test this stuff and show the results against one of maybe your more stuffy marketing campaigns. See which one gets the most results. Okay, just, but what what stops people? I mean, at the end of the day, why, is it fear? I mean, people are just afraid? What, what is it? I think it's the how, how you do it, right? Like they get so caught up in, well, how do I actually do this? And how do I get buy off on this? And how do I make sure that this is going to align? I think there's a little bit of fear. There's fear. So I think one, you have to be like transparent enough with your leaders. If you're running like an ABM program and you want to do this and you need to be transparent enough with your leaders to say, Hey, look, I want to take a real risk. And here's the risk. Be transparent enough at like, I want to be, I want to do something that's very creative. I really think it's going to work. And I just want to try it. Now, it helps when you have a leader that is unconventional, right? Because then they're going to want to take that risk with you. And they might even like add fuel to the fire, right? Um, that's one of the biggest things that I look for when I, when I hire people is that they can think out of the box. Like you may hire a growth person to do demand gen and all these things, but like what happens in a recession when budgets are cut and they can't run any paid media? What's their MO? What are they going to do? How are they going to show impact? And if they can't think outside the box, they're going to be one of the first ones cut. Because why keep them around if the only thing that they can do is run paid media and your paid media just got cut? Then what? Well, the business decision is to cut. So I think that there's also a personnel side of this that you also have to find talent and find people that are willing to take risks and be unconventional and think outside the box. I think one of the greatest fallacies that we have done to the industry of marketing is not allowing people to play in multiple arenas. They, we, we, we preach, we pitch, we say, find your niche, stay in it, be really strong with it. But then what? What happens when those initiatives are cut? They're gone. They're out. Exactly. We've done a massive fallacy to this because guess what this has also created? It's created high-level uh, marketing leaders who don't know how to tie business outcomes to business problems. So then you have 
the shortest tenure of C-suites being the CMO. You have the shortest tenure of VPs of marketing leaving because they can't show the business outcomes. And the reason why this has happened is because we as marketers have positioned everybody's roles to be so niche that they can't learn how to tie their outcomes to business outcomes. Tell me how a creative director, somebody who owns design, is going to be able to show outcomes against revenue. It's pretty damn hard, if not impossible. Yeah. So what are, you, what are you saying to everyone else in the organization when you're saying, we want to be revenue driven, we want to drive to business outcomes, but yet, yet here in marketing are your biggest roles that truly cannot in any way, shape or form be tied to business outcomes. We have done that to ourselves. Yeah. That's painful, man. That's, that, that's framed in such a way that's, that's, it's actually cutting, right? That's painful to hear and to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, well, James, man, this, this has been amazing. Uh, your insights have been just outstanding. Thank you for being on the show, man. You've given us some amazing tips around go-to-market strategy. Uh, th- this has been great. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great. And listeners, you know, take these tips and create memorable go-to-market messages for your buyers. Stand out. And as always, for more from our friends at Flip and from us here at Primary Intelligence, check out the show notes at www.primary-intel.com forward slash podcast. And remember, no deal is out of reach. We'll see you next time.